Hey everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of Florida and Georgia. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. Casey Jones was a strong and independent woman. She would stop whatever she was doing to help you with whatever you needed. She got married in her early 20s and had two amazing sons, Cameron, who popped into the universe in September of 2009, and Preston, who graced the world with his presence in August of 2014. After her sons were born, she started working at a local vet clinic where she met a vet tech named Michael. He was the employee that everyone loved, especially the little old ladies. According to WFTV, he would run his tiny little legs out to their cars and carry in their dogs for them. Michael was a pint-sized little dude, but he was wide. It didn't look like he missed a ton of days in the gym. Anyway... Michael's wife also worked at the clinic. In fact, that's how he got the job in the first place. They had a few kids of their own, but that didn't stop Michael from falling madly in love with Casey. And Casey fell right in love with him, too. But this affair seemed to flip some kind of switch in Michael. He started telling really weird lies. And I mean, like, the fuck you talking about kind of lies. According to the outlet, this guy started telling people that his very alive mother was an alcoholic who went out into a snowstorm one day and froze to death in a ditch. There are so many lies in this world that you could tell, and this is the one he went with. If the lies weren't weird enough, he decided to up the what the fuck ante and break into the vet clinic one night, steal some money, medicine, and the gun they kept there. Needless to say, he was fired and his marriage went down the shitter. But in the end, he still had Casey, who'd never been in trouble a day in her life. It's the age-old story of the good girl who fell in love with the bad boy because she saw who he was capable of being, but Michael had no intentions of reaching the potential that Casey saw in him. Nonetheless, they welcomed a sweet little girl into the world, Mirkali, in December of 2016, and a year and a half later, they got married, and four months after that, in August of 2018, Casey gave birth to their second daughter, Ayana. Casey and Michael were in this mad, deep, passionate, toxic kind of love. They'd love each other just as much as they hated each other, but the high points were posted all over Facebook for everyone to see. In April of 2019, when Casey was 32 and Michael was 38, they moved their crew of six into a single-wide mobile home in Summerfield, Florida. It was cramped, but they made it work. As always, Casey was taking care of everything. She was taking care of the babies and her youngest boy, four-year-old Preston, who was just learning to walk due to special needs. But her oldest son, Cameron, was always there to help. He had taken to being a big brother like he was nine going on 19. He loved his mama and he loved his siblings. Meanwhile, Michael struggled to be employed anywhere. So he did some woodworking on the side, making bowls, bases for lamps, and candle holders. You know, real lucrative shit. This was a constant point of contention in their marriage. Casey had four kids to take care of, and Michael was basically a fifth. 
However, if you looked at Michael's Facebook, you'd think they were happier than ever. Right after moving into the home, he posted about Casey saying, This woman rocks me to my core. Last night was amazing. We haven't had a night together without the kids for a long time. Casey Jones, I'm shameless. I want the world to know how much your sexy, beautiful self means to me. You're my everything, even when we're ghosts. To which Casey replied, even when we're ghosts. Michael really wanted to sell to the world that they were this invincible couple who, though they'd gone through some shit, were more in love than ever. Meanwhile, Casey's Facebook was dedicated to her kids, memes, and the occasional selfie. She posted pretty regularly, that is, until July 10th, 2019. That day, she updated her profile picture and her friends commented about how beautiful she was. But Casey responded with, Wished I felt that way. When you've been pushed down for years, it's really hard to know your worth. The last post she made on July 10th was, No relationship is more important than your relationship with your kids. On July 13th, she updated her profile picture again and again on August 1st, but this time people were worried about her. Her mother commented and asked, are you okay? And Casey responded with, yes, just sucks still feeling like crap. Which was weird because Casey's mom was actually watching her daughters at this point. According to WFTV, Casey's mom had gotten a text from her daughter's phone asking if she would keep the girls for a few days because she was sick. Michael brought the girls over and she didn't hear from her daughter until a couple of days later when she got another text from her daughter's phone asking if she could keep the girls for a couple of weeks because she was still sick. Casey and her mom were especially close. WTHR reports that they called, texted, and video chatted each other all the time. They were so close that one time when Michael decided he wanted to ditch the family for two weeks, her mom actually moved in with them to help. So not hearing from Casey when she was this sick, two weeks sick, didn't sit right with her. But she was updating her Facebook, albeit rarely, and she did seem to send those texts. Eventually, Casey's mom got another text from her daughter saying that Michael would be by to pick up the girls, and he did. He came over, he picked them up, and he left. But August 22nd went by, Preston's fifth birthday, and there was no party, no post on Facebook, and all calls and texts wishing him a happy birthday went unanswered. Then September 12th went by, Cameron's 10th birthday, and again there was no party. No Facebook posts and all calls and texts wishing him a happy birthday also went unanswered. Casey's sister's birthday even went by and she heard nothing. On September 14th, 2019, her mother had had enough. She knew that something wasn't right. Casey would never have let the kids' birthdays go by without a huge celebration, and the texts that didn't even sound like her had stopped altogether. She reported Casey and the four kids missing and was not shy about letting the police know that she thought Michael had something to do with it. Police immediately went over to their home in Summerfield to do a welfare check, but it was completely empty and Ocala.com reports that it was clear no one had lived there in weeks. 
unbeknownst to damn near anyone else, they'd actually been evicted the last week of August. And you know who signed the eviction papers on both of their behalves? Michael. Neighbors told My News 13 that they'd seen him taking tied black trash bags and putting them into a U-Haul at 2.30 in the morning around the time he was getting evicted. And according to Ocala.com, every time he'd go back into the house and get something else to put into the truck, he'd close the back of the U-Haul. It seemed like he didn't want anyone knowing what he was putting in there. The outlet reports that the property manager of the home told police that when Michael finally left, he'd left some furniture and pictures behind, so they took it all to a landfill. But they had to bleach the entire place because it smelled like something had died in there. They had no idea at the time they were cleaning it that anything was wrong. Casey and the kids hadn't been reported missing yet, and they just figured the family had wrecked the home. But that's not what happened at all. With the manager's permission, USA Today reports that the police entered the home and immediately recognized the smell of human decomposition. They quickly changed Casey and the kids' missing status to missing and endangered and put in a request for an official search warrant of the home, which they now believed was a crime scene. While police were literally at the house smelling this decomposition, they got a phone call from the Brantley County Sheriff's Department in Georgia. They had just responded to a single vehicle crash, and the driver was Michael. When police got to the scene of the crash, I shit you not, Michael told them, you may want to put me in handcuffs because there's a dead body inside the vehicle. The fuck did you just say? The van didn't have a back window because it had been busted out when they backed into something a while back, and the smell was overwhelming. Police searched the vehicle, and just like Michael had told them, there Casey was, decomposing in what First Coast News describes as a plastic tote. WESH reports that he'd been spraying cleaner to try and cover up the smell and fly spray because, according to Michael, flies were obviously flying. But the kids weren't with him. Obviously, Michael gets taken into custody where instead of shutting down, he just keeps talking. He tells the detectives that he hid the death of their bodies. Their bodies? They'd only found Casey. What was he talking about? Had he killed the four kids too? He had. Michael led police into a wooded area off the highway he had had his accident on just a few miles south. Remember, he was traveling north from Florida to Georgia. As they walked into the woods, they smelled that unforgettable smell of human decomposition, and it only got stronger and stronger the further Michael walked them into the woods. Ocala.com reports that he stopped in front of a couple of totes and suitcases covered in palm branches, and there they were. According to First Coast News, two-year-old Mercalli and baby Ayana were in the same tote, along with a baby bottle and a pair of tiny pink sandals. 
Michael had pulled over on the side of the highway and walked into the woods with the bodies of four children and then kept the body of their mother in the car and kept driving. Bodies that had been in his vehicle for weeks because he'd been kicked out of their home in late August. I think it's important to note here that Michael drove their five bodies across state lines the day they were reported missing. This is something you see in criminals who do their homework, and I'd love to be a fly on the wall when they go through this shitbag's internet search history. If he hid their bodies in Florida, where they were reported missing, when they were found, they'd immediately be cross-referenced to any missing persons in the state. But if their bodies were found in Georgia, they'd be cross-referenced to missing persons in Georgia, and it would take a lot longer for people to connect the dots. Michael was charged with a second-degree murder of his wife, Casey Jones. And frankly, a lot of people took issue with the fact that it was second-degree murder and not first. But in Florida, only a grand jury can charge someone with first-degree murder, and you'd have to prove some kind of premeditation. So for now, this charge was a placeholder, and it could change if the evidence supported it. Everyone wondered why he wasn't being charged with the murders of the children, too, but they still needed to be formally identified. Everyone logically knew that these were the bodies of Cameron, Preston, Mercalli, and Ayana. There's a 0% chance that Michael led the police to the bodies of four children in the woods who weren't his missing stepsons and daughters. But for legal purposes, they'd have to be identified without a doubt through the medical examiner's office, and that was going to take some time due to how badly decomposed they were. Temperatures had been in the mid-90s in Florida, and the police honestly didn't know when exactly Michael had killed them, whether they'd all been killed at the same time or whether he'd killed them in some kind of horrific sequence. The sheriff held a press conference and did not hold back. He said, Unfortunately, true evil poked its head up here. That's about the only best way to describe it. As far as I'm concerned, as the sheriff of this county, underneath the jail ain't good enough. He has no right to walk the face of this earth, and I'd hate to be him when he stands before the Lord. Ironically, one of Michael's last Facebook posts included, May your days be filled with the joy and mercy from our Lord. Good luck with that, buddy. On September 18th, 2019, Michael was in court for his first appearance on his second-degree murder charge. He came in looking like a shameful little ping-pong ball in his red jumpsuit and beady little demon eyes. At the hearing, it's clear that they fully expect to charge him with four additional counts of murder, but they still haven't completed the autopsies of the children yet, and they need those results to figure out what exactly Michael's charges will be. The Gainesville Sun reports that his formal arraignment is set for October 22nd, and he's on suicide watch until then. In the meantime, you heard a lot of people doing the whole, I can't believe he would do something like this thing. People who knew him from high school or at a distance, but the people closer to the situation had a different view. His old vet clinic for starters, you know, the whole stealing the money, medicine, and guns thing. And then came Casey's sister. She told First Coast News that Michael was violent and obsessive and would get really angry with Casey and the boys. The boys were not his biological children. 
The boys, who Ocala.com reports, were with their biological father between July 26th and August 10th, where they told their father that Michael abused them and their mother and would beat them with hangers and whatever else he could find when he got mad. This means that Michael didn't kill the boys until a month after Casey stopped posting regularly on Facebook. This would also be around the time that Casey's mother says Michael came by to pick up the girls after she'd kept them for two weeks while Casey was sick. The outlet also reports that around July 26, Michael started coming over to his ex-wife's apartment. In her interview with Ocala.com, she said that he'd picked up their kids and kept them from July 26 until August 11th. He brought them back so that they could start school and then took them again the following weekend, which would have been the weekend of August 16th, 17th, and 18th. Ocala.com found out that on the 17th, Michael sold two twin beds on Facebook. Twin beds that had to be deep cleaned by the person who purchased them because of how bad they smelled. If that smell was human decomposition, that means that whoever had been in those twin beds, and I can imagine the girls were probably still in cribs at this point, had been dead for some time. So had he gotten Casey's boys back on the 10th, returned his other kids to his ex-wife on the 11th, and killed them sometime before the 17th when his other kids came back? His other children obviously didn't mention seeing their murdered step-siblings in the house, but the outlet does say that they did mention that his van smelled. WFTV reports that the kids just assumed that one of the feral cats had gotten into the van and died. Michael's interactions with his ex-wife and their kids didn't end on the weekend of the 16th. They kind of just began. His ex-wife told WFTV that he actually stayed with them for two weeks when Hurricane Dorian came through at the beginning of September. She told WXJT that Michael told her that him and Casey had split up and that she was trying to keep the girls from him, and I guess she believed him. She told the outlet that she'd never been through a hurricane before, and he told her that he didn't have electricity at their mobile home anymore, so she was just happy to have another adult in the apartment. She said Michael was active and playing with the kids and even took them to the pool. At one point, she even mentioned that he brought some of his kids over to her apartment some of whom I'm assuming were his daughters. She told the outlet that there were no red flags. The van sitting in front of her apartment with up to five decomposing bodies was not a red flag. Somehow, no one seemed to notice this, which I honestly find hard to believe. This van had no back window. People smelled Casey's one dead body from outside the van when he got into that crash. The police smelled the children's bodies well before they actually found them in the woods. All five of them in this van in the heat and humidity of a Florida September would be really hard to miss. Michael was actually at his ex-wife's apartment when he left to drive to Georgia on September 14th, where she claims he told her he was going to talk to Casey about everything, but Casey was in a tote in the back of his van. On September 26th, First Coast News reports on an affidavit that was released that gives a little insight into when this all started, and it began on July 10th.
In the affidavit, Michael claims that on July 10th, he and Casey got into an argument about him cheating on her. In his version of events, he claims that Casey got a bat and started pushing him with it, so he grabbed it from her and proceeded to violently beat her over the head with it until she died. And then, according to Action News Jax, put her body into a plastic tote and put her in the closet. According to a petition Casey's sister posted on Facebook, this asshole is claiming self-defense. Michael killed Casey on July 10th and updated her Facebook profile photo on July 13th and again on August 1st with the caption, Boss Lady, I can't be the only person whose skin is crawling right now. When her mom asked if she was okay, Michael used Casey's account to comment back with the fact that she was still feeling like crap. On August 21st, he updated her Facebook profile photo and her cover photo to images of the four children he had murdered. And all the while, texted Casey's friends and family back, giving excuses as to why she couldn't call or video chat. If Chris Watts and Brian Sluss had a baby, reference the Monica Moynan episode, it would be this piece of shit. A couple more weeks pass while everyone waits for Michael's next court hearing, and on October 8th, the kids' autopsies are done, and the world finally learns what Michael says he did to them. In a report obtained by WFTV, Michael claims that he killed the boys by strangling them. The only problem with his story is that he says he did it the day after he killed Casey. We know that's not possible because they were with their dad from late July until August 10th. For more than two weeks, those boys had to be wondering where their mommy was before their actual father picked them up for visitation. They spent two weeks with their biological father before being returned home and then strangled by their stepfather. Michael then claims that he waited two weeks after killing the boys to kill the girls, which he says he did by drowning them. His timeline would suggest that he killed the boys on July 24th, which we know isn't true, and that he killed the girls two weeks later, which would have been August 7th. That would mean that he killed the girls prior to killing the boys, and that he killed the girls while he had his ex-wife's children staying with him. His timeline doesn't add up, but it does seem like witnesses saw the girls after they stopped seeing the boys, Casey's grandmother and his ex-wife. If anything that Michael is saying is true, I would guess that it's the manner in which he killed the children and the fact that he killed the girls two weeks after killing the boys, which would put that date around August 24th or August 25th when he was getting evicted. There are obviously holes in his story, and we know he's not telling the whole truth, much like his family annihilator counterpart, Chris Watts, but regardless, four counts of first-degree murder are added to his one count of second-degree murder. In a report by The Ledger, the state's attorney's office makes it clear that they are going to be seeking the death penalty. His next court appearance is scheduled for November 12th of 2019. While everyone waits to see what Michael's plea is going to be, Ocala.com does some digging and listen to this shit. Remember that ex-wife who he was staying with up until the day Casey and the kids were reported missing? 
It turns out the police called her that day to see if she knew anything, and she told the police that she'd seen Casey and the kids at McDonald's on September 13th, the day before, which is obviously a bunch of crap. But the police didn't know that at this point. They didn't know they were dead. So they were sent on a wild goose chase trying to hunt down security footage from the McDonald's, which, to no surprise, had no trace of Casey or the kids on it. According to his ex-wife, Michael was with her when she got the call, and he told her to tell them that. No red flags, my ass. News 4 Jax also gets a hold of some new stuff, which is a voicemail Michael's ex-wife left to someone, and it says, It was a really quick visit with the kids, so I can only confirm I saw Michael. But it's actually been a while since I saw Casey in person. For what it's worth, a lot of drama comes along with her, so I would be very surprised if this were not just some sort of stunt, if I may say so. A quick visit? Didn't he stay with you for two weeks while he had up to five dead bodies in his van? Dead bodies that at least one of your children recalled the smell of? And didn't you tell the police that you saw her the day before she was reported missing when we all know she'd been dead for two months at that point? No red flags. We're in the land of red flags at this point. This woman could claim the moon in honor of red flags. A stunt. Get out of here with that bullshit. November went by without any updates on whether or not Michael actually went to court, but News 4 Jax continued working their ass off to get as much information as they possibly could about what happened to Casey and the kids, and wound up getting a recording of Michael talking to the GBI, which is basically Georgia's super police. And wouldn't you know it, he essentially blames Casey for her own murder. In this recording, he says that Casey was always nagging, poking, and prodding him and texting him saying that he was a terrible person and that he couldn't do anything right. Well, if he was beating her and the boys with hangers and he couldn't hold down a job because of how much he sucked, all that checks out. He goes on to talk about one night when he was sleeping on his stomach on the floor and claims that Casey kept shining her phone's flashlight in his face. Oh, boo-hoo! I cannot be the only one that is sick and tired of men gaslighting the shit out of women until they snap. And by snap, I mean shine a flashlight in your face or grab a baseball bat to push you away because they're tired of being beaten with hangers. They talk about these women like they're crazy, but fail to mention the endless stream of mental and physical bullshit they put them through. Michael made sure that his Facebook painted him as this doting husband who loved his kids and would do anything for them, but he wouldn't even hold down a job for them, let alone respect their mother. And Casey had so much faith in him to become the person that she knew he was capable of being that even though it was bad, really bad, she stayed in those tiny moments of love and those little glimmers of hope kept her around and telling him that she would love him even when they were ghosts. Investigators asked Michael why he killed the kids, why he didn't just leave the boys with their father and leave the girls with Casey's mother. And according to First Coast News, he claims that after he killed the boys, he drove by the police station trying to work up the nerve to turn himself in. But he didn't. He said everything mounted and it just seemed like the only way out. There was a way out. Get a divorce. Divorce is legal in all 50 states and no one dies. 
But there was never a way out after he killed Casey. There was never a way out after he killed Cameron and Preston. And there was never a way out after killing Mercalli and Ayana. He's gonna sit in jail, but now it's for the death of five people and not one. This is the kind of case where people who otherwise oppose the death penalty have admitted to changing their mind when it comes to Michael. At any point in time when he was unhappy, he could have walked away like he did for that one two-week period. He could have filed for divorce, he could have left the girls with Casey's mother, he could have left the boys with their father, but he didn't. Every single time Michael was faced with making a decision, he chose murder. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Casey and the girls' ashes sit together in one box so that even though Michael wanted to separate them in death, they will forever be together. I saw a local mention that the boys' ashes were given to their father. Michael Jones has pled not guilty to his second-degree murder charge for beating Casey to death with a bat. I couldn't find any updates on the case after 2019, so I called down to the courthouse and honestly got the best clerk's office employee ever who went through all of 2020 with me and what to expect this year. In January of 2020, he had a couple of hearings scheduled, but it's unclear if one or more was rescheduled. One looks like it was supposed to be jury selection, but it was removed. Another date was removed from June of 2020, and on December 2nd, it looks like he was supposed to have a pretrial hearing, but that too was rescheduled until May of this year. As the trial against this stain on the earth known as Michael Jones progresses, I will absolutely update you. For all photos pertaining to this case, check out the Jones family highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley and join me there tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern where you go live with me and we talk about today's episode. If you like your podcast ad free, head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime or for just one whole dollar a month, your episodes are totally ad free. If you need more episodes in your life, for just $5 a month, you get a bonus episode on the first Monday of every month, all your episodes are ad-free, and you'll also receive a forever discount code for all Big Mad True Crime merch. And of course, anytime you sign up, you get instant access to all previous bonus episodes. I'll be bringing you a brand new case a week from today, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out.